We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Wednesday, the 17th day of August, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. Bruce, how are you today? You know, it's just the two of us. It's back to the way it always was. How you doing back today? Back to the way it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, healthy and alive today. Doing well. Um, yourself? I'm okay. I'm okay today. But it's warm today. But soon, soon, it's not going to be warm here where I am. For those that don't know, I know we have some new listeners. We get them all the time. For those that don't know, I am the, well, one of the token Americans in the middle of mainland Europe. And, you know, they're talking about something involving some kind of energy crisis over here because of Russian oil and gas or something. You know, the same thing that Joe Biden stands up there at the at the podium when he talks to you in a press conference about the reason the gas prices are so high is because of Putin and Putin's war. Putin, Putin, Putin. That's all you hear is them deflecting and placing the blame. Well, you know, they're doing the same thing here. The difference is, is that they're actually refusing. The, the government here is actually refusing to turn on the rest of their nuclear power facilities. If they do that, then they can minimize the damage that's going to be caused here. So you're not going to have as big of a problem. You're still going to have maybe a natural gas problem. But here's the other thing. They discovered just a few weeks ago, they discovered a shale deposit, a, a shale gas deposit in one of the southern German states. And you know, if they explore fracking, then it is entirely possible that they could power this country independently using just that one deposit that they found for the next 20 years at current rates, at current rates of growth and stability. But see, no, we can't explore that because we have to get away from petrochemicals. We have to get away from fossil fuels, right? Because we're in economies in, that are in transition, innovating to zero, right? Straight out of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, the United Nations, Agenda 2030, Agenda 2050. We're transitioning to zero. Do you ever stop to think about what transitioning to zero actually means? They literally mean everything. Absolutely everything. So here it's going really well, at least right now. You know, the inflation, it kind of stopped, but that doesn't mean that it's, I mean, they just kind of, it's stabilized at the moment, but it's going to go even higher. Right now, they're ratcheting up the um, the energy costs. Energy costs are, I mean, it's, it's through the roof over here right now. They just went up another 9% today in the European Union as a whole. And you see, there's going to be a natural gas shortage here. Never mind the fact that they found a 20-year deposit. And we're not talking about 20 years is in one well that can run one section of this country. We're talking about enough shale gas deposits to run the entirety of this country for the next two decades. You're trying to tell me we can't do anything in two decades to transition to something else? something cleaner. You're trying to tell me we can't do that. Not to mention the fact that we've already done a lot of transitions from say, oh, I don't know, let's look at the 1950s, 60s and 70s. Let's take that 20 year period and let's look at that as compared to today by 
environmental standards. You don't have the smog anymore, do you? I mean, places, you know, major metropolitan areas like New York and stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But you don't largely have the smog like you used to. The smog in L.A., go look at some of the photos from Los Angeles back in the 60s and 70s and tell me that was great air to breathe. If that was going on today, then you know what? I could see the Greta Thunbergs screaming and, and whining and complaining about pollution. I could. I could see the point of people like Klaus Schwab and, and all these other uh, yahoos like Al Gore that are out there screaming about pollution. I could understand it from that aspect because I wouldn't want that either. But that's not what's happened. We've actually innovated to find cleaner solutions. We're using the same chemicals, albeit we're actually using less of them and they're cleaner. Back in the 90s under the Clintons, we had this thing about... Um, about industrialization. You know, we were we were nice and we were prosperous. I mean, the process of deindustrialization had started. It was start, it actually it was proposed in the late 70s and it took some time for the the wheels to get turned because you know how government is. And so we didn't start selling out and and exporting our heavy industry in America and in the western world until mid 90s, late 90s, somewhere along in there. That's when it started. That's when it started going to Mexico, started going to India, started going to China. And the reason for that was the pollution, right? That's what they sold to you. It's the, it's the pollution. It's the pollution. Okay. Well, what do they consider a pollutant? Well, let's go back and let's look. The Environmental Protection Agency, back in the 90s, they were tasked under the Clinton administration to find any of these chemical plants or coal burning powerhouses or any of these things, go out and find us a reason as to show us a, a toxic level of something, because, you know, they always show you that, right? When you watch TV, you watch the media or something, they're always showing you these stacks. Do you know what that is that's coming out of there? That's steam that's coming out of there. That's not a pollutant. You would look back in the 1900s, the mid, uh, early to mid-1900s, and you would see black smoke rolling out of those stacks. Okay, that was a problem. We don't have that anymore, do we? No, we don't. Because we have something here in the West, not just in America, but in the West, we have clean burning scrubber systems on all of our powerhouses. Huh. Well, what did they do? Well, if these are all clean burning systems, if the, if the carbon gets scrubbed off, because if you look at a coal fire plant, you don't see black smoke rolling out of there, do you? No. You see white smoke rolling out of there and it dissipates. What is that? Well, that's steam. The only thing that comes out of there is CO2 and water vapor. That's it. The carbon gets scrubbed off. It gets caught. It gets trapped in our clean burning systems. Go ahead, Bruce. CO2 is carbon. Okay. All right. CO2 is carbon. It's yeah. Just but it's water. Yeah, but it's just yeah, it's water. But the EPA spent a majority of their time in the 90s flying over in helicopters, putting the uh, the sniffer sensors and everything down inside the stacks and everything from the top. And they said they went back to the government and, and the people in, in the administration and said, look, there's nothing. There's nothing. We're looking for toxins. We're looking for uh, some type of a violation here. And, you know, they're looking five, six, seven times a year, some of these uh, some of these outfits. And they're like, there, there's nothing we can do. And so the federal government ruled carbon dioxide to be considered a noxious gas, a pollutant when it's a life giving gas. You know, if we don't have CO2, then all life will cease to exist. So under the guise of this um, global warming, right, and greenhouse gas effect, I'm doing the air quotes, we had to shut down all of our industry. You know, it's funny. I've been sitting here and I've, I've been looking for answers, explanations and, and things for a long time. And last night, I think I stumbled upon some. Bruce and I were doing some research late last night. And it's funny, you know, you, you go back and you look at this climate agenda. That's one thing in and of itself, because we're not just seeing the climate agenda, are we? No, 
We're seeing so many other things on top of that. We're seeing racial division. We're seeing segregation in society. We're seeing medical uh, dictates. We're seeing the rewriting of definitions right in front of everyone's eyes. Most notably, redefining what death is. We're ignoring the most basic sciences that have been in place for hundreds of years. We're, we're ignoring the most basics of medicines that have been practiced for hundreds of years. Why? Why is all that happening? Well, it goes to a larger reason, and we stumbled upon some of that last night, but I'll get into that in just a bit. But I ran across this article today because now they're saying because there's going to be a natural gas shortage in Germany, now there's been such a high demand for electric heaters that that's going to cause the electric grid to overload and it's going to collapse and the entire power grid is going to go out. What did I say was going to happen? I said, they're going to turn your heating off. They're going to turn your electricity off. Rather, that's caused by an overload in the power grid or not, they're going to do it anyway. And I'll tell you why they're going to do it anyway. But let's take a look at this. Germany is facing a complete collapse of its power grid this winter due to the soaring demand for electric heaters and growing fears that gas supplies could be cut off. Germans are panic buying electric heaters after firewood supplies and stoves have sold out. A desperate backup option to survive the plummeting winter temperatures. Uh, according to one of the uh, bosses of the utility companies here, which is actually just up the road from me, he says the sheer amount of citizens using electric heaters would put enormous strain on the country's electricity grid. <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, heaters, electric heaters are going to cause the power grid to collapse. OK. All right. Um, well, gee whiz, do you think we should all go out and get electric cars then? You, you think that's going to be any kinder to the uh, to the power grid? In, I don't know, any of the four seasons that we have, spring, winter, summer, fall, any of that? No, I don't think so. I think it's going to cause an even bigger problem if you do that. Electric heaters use between 1,000 and 3,000 watts of energy. And I believe that you looked into the electric car thing and it actually uses four times that, does it not, to charge? Yeah, it, it, it was uh, four times what an air conditioner needs. Uh -huh. So, yeah. That's yeah, right, right about that. Uh, so when all of these are plugged in simultaneously, it could cause a massive overload and cause the grid to collapse. Really? You mean if <laughs> you mean if if too many people are accessing the grid at one time, you mean it's going to collapse? Do you mean if everybody had electric cars and plugged them in? Well, then it would be just fine because you're saving the earth, right? Uh-huh. Sure. If everyone switched on a fan at home, it would mean that we would have to almost double the existing network structure on every street. Just a fan. Just a fan, he says. I beg to differ because fans don't use hardly anything by comparison. Uh, well, if... Yeah, but it, you're, you're talking every person in Germany uh, increasing the... See, that means... If that's all it takes to overload your power grid, you guys are, like, on the edge of overload already. You're, you're like, running your capacitors at, you know, just at the edge of being overloaded mm -hmm. at all times. Mm -hmm. But they won't turn on the nukes. They're going to turn three of them on, but they're still planning to shut all of them down by the end of this year anyway. They've got 11 left, and most of them are mothballed. So you've turned them off. You're taking three of them out of mothballs. You can spin up the other eight that you've got, but you won't because of politics. Even the head of the regulatory agency came out and said, look, it's just a matter of political will. It's just a matter of the politicians actually saying, turn them on. But they're not going to. Why? Why aren't they going to? That's actually... Uh... So does Germany have an infrastructure to process that shale? Shale gas? Do, do oh, I'm they... sure they do. I, I'm sure that they do. Okay. 
Because if you already have the systems up, let's let's just for the sake of giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying, okay, well, maybe maybe those nuclear plants need to be um, since they were mothballed for so long, uh, maybe they need to go through you know uh, upgrades or maintenance or whatever. You know, let's let's just give them that that benefit of the doubt, right? Where we're assuming no malice in this argument, it would still take uh, if you don't have the refining capabilities already it would take you like five years to get the refining processes up before you could use the refineries but if you if you already did have the refineries up then it's only a matter of getting the drilling rigs out there getting everything set up and getting that whole uh, pipeline started if you will so by the time winter did roll around you would potentially have the 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 gas needed you know one thing about the germans i think history shows this to be true and they still have it they are very efficient people they really are. They're a very industrious people. They're engineering and technically inclined, and they have that kind of mindset. They've got some of the best engineering, some of the best manufacturing that the world has to offer. That They can spin up just about anything they need to spin up in record time. They're famous for doing that throughout history. I refuse to believe that they're unable and incapable of seeing to that need in a quick amount of time. I, I refuse to believe that because... They can rise to the occasion yeah. when they need to. Yeah. There's more people that die each year because of cold temperatures than hot temperatures. It may not be exactly true in Europe because you guys don't have air conditioning like we do here in the United States. But at least for us here in the United States, it's the cold winters that are more of a problem than the uh, hot summers. And that's not to say people don't die during the summer. That's just to say, you know, as an example, this year has been a really bad year for hot or, uh, heart attack season. So... Yeah, you know, do mask up and stay safe. But it, wintertime is the worst. And Germany has some pretty damn cold winters. So not having electricity is kind of a big deal, especially when you don't have gas, especially when you don't, you're running out of uh, uh, firewood. Again, what's the benign reason for this? It's not like this is new. It's not like it's a, a surprise. Germany has cold weather. No, it's we've known this. This is this is like a known fact for millennia. This has gone back millions of years, probably. Um, I don't believe in millions of years uh, that have passed, but I'm, I'm going off of what they say with evolution and everything. Right. So by their standard, we've known this for a very long time that Germany is cold in the winter. So with that standard, what's the benign reason that you were shorted on power and gas and firewood and all of this and what, what, what's the benign reason for that? The benign reason, you say? Well, you know, we sat around scratching our heads trying to figure out what that might be. You know, it's not an accident that we're seeing all of this agenda being played out in front of us at the same time simultaneously in all of these countries. It's not an accident. It's almost like it was an orchestrated plan. You know, people have, have been saying, at least some of the experts in the field have been saying, you know, that have been watching this, the prominent ones, they've been saying, these people have been working on this for a really long time. And you know what? They have, at least by our standards, they have. Perhaps longer than what we think? I don't know. But what we do know is that they've been working on this at least since the end of the war if not sooner. And when I say the war, I'm talking about World War II. They've been working on this agenda ever since then. And it's been set in motion. Everything that's been happening over the last, I don't know, 70, 80 years has been accumulating itself up to this point here, this point right here. What is so significant about this point? Well, take a look at the agendas. Why are you laughing, Bruce? Why are you laughing at <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm just we we pointed back to World War II and I'm laughing because 
literally the war of World War II, like the whole, when you boil it down, it wasn't just about uh, land disputes and, you know, it wasn't, it was literally ideology. And World War II was fought against an ideology that we're currently fighting today. You know, we, we, we destroyed fascism. No, we didn't. We did not destroy this Marxist idea that it's been a cancer on humanity for at least a hundred years now. We didn't, we didn't kill that off. We, we only, um, well, we removed a few tumors and that's it. The cancer is still there. It's still been festering. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. But the, the thing that we're talking about here is it was deeper than what we thought as in this, yeah. um, this problem, this is in the problem of uh, this Marxist ideology and, and everything else. And I'm going to like all of this is building. I, I'm I know that I'm just kind of beating around the bush here, but you have to go back and, and you have to read what these people write about. And just by sheer accident last night, we were talking about something. I don't even remember what it was. And I said, you know, if you start going back and you look through these uh, these ideologies that these people have, like, for example, Dennis Meadows, right? If you listen to him of the Club of Rome and where he says in some of the intros we play actually have his uh, his quote there. And he says, look, you know what? I'm just going to pull that clip. I'm just going to play it for reference because it's it's relevant to what we're getting. Uh, I, I, I think I do remember kind of what we were talking about. It was uh, we were kind of talking about. Um, well, basically what we're talking about now, we're, it's more or less climate change, uh, depopulation, those kind of things. Uh, it, was, it was kind of on those lines. Yes. And this is, again, this is, he wrote the book, uh, this is Dennis Meadows, I'm, I'm going to play him, Club of Rum. He wrote a book called Limits to Growth. It is out there. You can obtain a copy of it. You can pay for it if you want. They did a revised version. I think it's on Amazon for like $11. But you can also go to the Club of Rome's website if you have a Kindle and you can get the Kindle version. They give it to you for free. It's on their website. They offer it. I mean, you might as well take it. But listen, here's one of the authors of that book. Listen to what he has to say first, and then we're going to get into the rest of the So far, globally, you are so far above the population and the consumption levels, which can be supported by this planet, that I know in one way or another, it's going to come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that. Uh, I hope that it can occur in a a, a civil way, I, 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 and I mean civil in a in a special way. I, peaceful peace doesn't mean uh, that everybody's happy, but it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through through force, uh, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for: uh, that we can. I mean, the planet can support something like a billion people, maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to, to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have eight or nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. It's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, But if you had a smart dictatorship, and a low standard of living, you can have it. But but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven. So we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow, relatively slow, and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh, you know, so that people share uh, the experience and you don't have a few rich you know, trying to force everybody else to, to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean, these are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know, but um, that's... Yeah, you see, you want it to be done in a 
peaceful way, you know, civilly, uh, because you want everybody to share in the experience. You know, when we sit here and we joke about that, this is the joker that we're referencing. This guy right here. You know, I, I listened to this guy speak, and he's not the only one. He's not taking this idea because it's his idea. This is an idea that's been conjured up by people that are like him, that have influenced people like him. And these other sanctimonious frauds like Bill Gates that you see running around on TED Talks and this uh, Noah Harari character that you see running around on TED Talk podcast saying, look, we're not going to need all these useless people. They believe in the same thing. You have to look at it from their standpoint. The ideology that they believe in is something called neo-Malthusianism. You need to understand what that is. That's very important because nearest I can tell, I don't hear and I'm not I'm not bashing the, uh, you know, the, the higher up uh, podcasters or anything like that. But this is essential that they start looking into this. This is extremely important because these are the people that we are dealing with. I stumbled across two books that I have in my collection, and I haven't read them in their entireties. And now that I found out what I found out about them last night, I'm kicking myself that I haven't read them sooner. We've talked about eco-science before, right? Eco-science, that is an extremely important book. It's extremely difficult to get your hands on that book because it's out of print. It's been out of print for a long time. And I was lucky enough to snag a copy for 30 bucks, uh, around $30. Uh, and I didn't even bat an eye at that because I've seen those books go as high as, uh, Bruce, I think I sent you a, uh, an offer one, a or one afternoon of $1,400 or 1,400 euros, which at the time was about $1,600. So it's a highly sought after book. And we discussed it. We actually did a podcast on, on something along those lines. Uh, I believe it was actually called Population Resources and Environment. You can go back and give that one a listen if you want. There's a lot of great information in there. We actually talked about what they wanted to do in there using biological weapons and vaccinations in there. And they talked about people like Margaret Sanger, you know, the founder of Planned Parenthood. They talked about how she was a heroine. You know, they were praising her, how the um, uh, the mother of the year awards should be given to the woman who's been sterilized and adopts two children. That type don't have your own family. You know, you look into these books, right? I, and I looked at the people that wrote that book, right? John P. Holdren was one of the people that wrote that book. He was the science czar under Obama. For anybody that doesn't know, he also teaches at Harvard. Paul Ehrlich. I'm not talking about the Paul Ehrlich as in like the German Medical Institute. Paul Ehrlich in the United States. He's an academic. Also teaches at Harvard. You can look him up as well. These are people that sit in the top circles of academia at some of the top universities in the world. If you read their books... And I, I went to look to see if I could find some other books that they authored. I thought, OK, well, if you're talking about whatever's going on in eco-science, and there's a lot of the, in that book that I agree with. Just like Meadows, the clip we just played to him, I agree with one thing that he said. One thing. He says, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. I do agree with that. I can't deny that. Dictatorships are always stupid, no matter how big or how small they are. But as I started to look at these other books that they authored, I ran across two of them. I ran across a book called Human Ecology, and I ran across a book called Global Ecology. And it's fascinating what I found at the end of these books. If you start to read the beginnings of the books, they talk about basically ecology, right? The environment, things like that, human activity and all that stuff. And they talk about some things in here that you really can't, at least from a scientific standpoint, as, as we know it, it's hard to deny it. Bruce, you and I were looking at, uh, for example, the nitrogen cycle last night, and we're looking at the graphs and the and the figures and the charts and everything that they have. And that's as as we know it, that's dead on accurate. So they give you yeah, truth. Yeah, they give you explanations about the environment that are true. Like they talk about, you know, fishing and 
you know, here's here's another thing here. They talk about fishing and, you know, the ecosystem and the life cycle of what impact you have just being a fisherman out in the wild, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's it's true how this works. Uh, they talk about photosynthesis and respiration of plants and, and animals and things. And all of that plays. As you're going through this and you're reading about it, it's like, you know, I, it's not really much I can disagree with here until you get to the end. Where does this ideology play in that they have? This Malthusianism, what do you talk about? Well, look up Sir Thomas Malthus. That's where it comes from. He believed that you could balance the world, as in the world always has a balance of populations, population growth, resources that you consume, and what effect that has on the environment. Yeah, population, resources, environment, that kind of thing. He believed that population growth was the root of all of humanity's problems, all of the Earth's problems. That sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? Hmm. Well, when you get to the end of this book, this first book that I looked at, Human Ecology, you get to the first end of this first book. And like I said, everything you see up through there as far as like controlling pollution and what we need to do to reduce our, not they weren't calling it a carbon footprint at the time, but reducing your energy consumption and things. I mean, I'm talking about like real conservationist kind of stuff. Right. I mean, that's just common sense kind of stuff, because if you think about it, this book was written in the 1970s, the early 1970s. That's when it was published. The appliances that we had back then used a lot more energy than what they do now. So, you know, for example, people would leave the refrigerator door open while they were cooking or something like that. That's wasteful, especially with something of that era. You know, so I could see that for energy consumption wise, you know, that's that's pretty wasteful. So they would talk about things like that, talk about, you know, different rules and uh, things of how properties worked of, of physics and dynamics and things like that. And it was it's very insightful. It's very insightful. But again, these are truths. These are truths. But you get to the end. And um, uh, Bruce, what is this? You see this? What does that look like to you right there? What does that room look like? Uh, it looks like something maybe the UN or the oh, you got EU. It. You got like it. That. Well, this is before the EU was actually created into a, you know, a whatever that was. Uh, but no, you're right. That's the United Nations. And quite frankly, the building still looks the same because they haven't updated a damn part of it, I don't think. But yeah, uh, the conference hall of the official proceedings of the United Nations Conference on the Human Environment in Stockholm in June of 1972. A start was made here for worldwide international cooperation in protecting the environment. That's still the same organization today, isn't it? It is. But if you look at the section after that, you know, they summarize and they give some, well, they give some recommendations, just some record, just a few recommendations on how to address these issues. You know, these all these problems we have in the world today. And you might ask, well, what does this have to do with, uh, okay, you're talking about climate. What does this have to do with the division in society? What does this have to do with uh, the, the, the COVID thing? What does this have to do with the, uh, the vaccine agenda? What does this have to do with the scientific side of things and then redefining things? We'll get to that, I assure you. You know what? I, I really want, I legitimately wanted to talk about other things today, but this is taking precedent. And believe me, we didn't plan for this. We were actually sitting here for about an hour planning something else. But since we started down this path, why not, right? Because it's just too good. It says as their recommendations, right? And Bruce, I'll take your commentary on any of these as I go through them because we love bullet points here. Number one, considering present technology and patterns of human behavior, our planet is grossly overpopulated. Are we hearing similar things to that now? We, we hearing something along those lines as, you know, Bill Gates, you know, like he was at the TED Talk thing saying, you know, we got a big population problem and well, that number is just it's going up and up and up and it's constantly going up. And, you know, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health, we can lower that by about 10 to 15 percent. So we're going to have to bring that down. You just heard Meadows. He says we're going to have to bring that number down. It's going to come down. So I'm not really worried about it. Now, these are pessimistic views that he says, but we're going to have a billion people. As he said, you heard that. 
So they're talking about literally killing six and a half, seven billion people, whatever number we're at now. I think we're over seven billion now, approaching eight. But yeah, that's that's what he said. You heard him say it. I don't need to play it again. Does it sound like he's following this? Just maybe. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm struggling to what what he was saying there in that video. One billion people is how many it can support. Maybe two billion with uh you know if that's the case, then we must have done something really well, and we've must have advanced profoundly because we're pushing eight billion people. So being as the Earth can only support one billion people, maybe two billion, the fact that we're at eight billion almost, we must have done something right. Well, he says that you can have up to eight billion. You heard him at the latter part of that uh, statement. He says, well, if we've got eight billion people, then you're going to have to have people living in poverty and you're going to have to have a strong uh, disciplined dictatorship. And that's where he said that, unfortunately, dictatorships that you never have a smart one. They're always stupid. So, yeah, uh, I thought he said up to two billion uh, with a good dictatorship. Maybe. OK, maybe I misheard. Uh, it could um, be. It could be. But he says if you want more freedom, you got to have less people. Right. Um, you know, interesting thing about that. Um, again, the only reason that we see shortages of food, shortages of water, medicines, those kind of things, it's because of politics. It's political reasons that those those things are in the way. Well, let's take a look at these other suggestions. Between two and three billion people are not being properly cared for now. Of course, you have to consider the time that this was written. Under such circumstances, the contention of some that many more people can be easily and properly cared for in the near future is preposterous. It's preposterous. Has it been preposterous? I mean, we're mass consumers now. Has it been preposterous that people are not cared for? You know what's interesting? These these systems they're recommending we use to, to um, help uh, equity, um, uh-huh. Yeah, they haven't worked in the past. Yet, since the 90s, we've had countries like India, as an example, uh, bring, I forget how many millions, I think it's like 200 and some million people out of poverty because of capitalism. China. Um, where, where, yeah, China, that's another good example. Even Russia, when it was uh, Soviet Russia. We, we've talked about that before, the, um, whatever the, the economic rescue plan was, I forget the, the name of it. They had to enact capitalism for a time to save themselves. Ah, yes, the China economic is, policy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then China, they've gone to a, basically a capitalist system. It's, it's crony capitalism. It's more of a fascist system because the state runs everything. But it's still more or less capitalist. And why? Because capitalism is the one that works. They go on to say here, when every human being has abundant and varied food, adequate clothing and shelter, first-rate medical care, what, if, what, what the hell's first-rate medical care, especially now, ample educational opportunity, please tell me another one, and freedom from war and tyranny, then perhaps consideration of rather more people can be given first-class accommodation on spaceship Earth, very important that they, that they say it like that, very important, will be appropriate. See, if you're allowed to be born is basically what they're saying. If you're allowed to be bringing people into the world, you got to have permission from the state first. Number two, the large absolute number of people and the rate of population growth are themselves major hindrances to fulfilling the above named needs of all of mankind. You see, now, you see, Bruce, they use mankind. Yeah, you see that? You could tell how politically incorrect they were. Yeah. It's supposed to be humankind, sexist. people kind. Yeah, what's it? Sexist people mm-hmm. like this writing this kind of garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number three, the limits of human capability to produce food by conventional means has very nearly been reached. Not true. Maybe at the time, but we developed big agra after that, and we supercharged our agricultural potential to feed the world. It was done improperly 
And we're seeing the effects of that now. But nonetheless, we were able to do it for a time. It, it, it's also funny, like when you look at the efficiency of farms and uh, as an example, back in the day, you used to have to uh, have hundreds of people. You needed hundreds of people back in the day to to harvest plant. I mean, you needed a large workforce. Nowadays, a family can do it themselves and have massive farms because of innovations that we've created over the years. It's almost like humans kind of had this, this propensity to adapt. It's almost like we do that naturally. It's almost like we try to be more efficient when government's out of the way. It's almost like we, we try to do that inherently. It's almost like we would have solved all these problems that they say we have if they would have just gotten out of the way. But therein lies the problem. You're not allowed to take, care, take control of your own life. They have to be nanny state and they have to tell you what to do because they know what's best. They know what's better, the, the best solution for your own life. How dare you? How dare you? Bruce, I'm hearing, the, I'm hearing an enemy of democracy out of you. That's what I'm hearing. You're an enemy of democracy. If you doubt True. the state, what's wrong with you? You're an enemy of democracy. Actually, True. I am, yeah. Attempts to increase food production will further tend to accelerate the deterioration of our environment, which in turn will, may have eventually reduce the capacity of the earth to produce food. That is true. If you overproduce on the soil, it will actually, like if there's no nutrients in the soil, then the soil itself actually just dies and you can't produce anything from it. This is why we have fertilizers now, because we have we've literally farmed our soil to exhaustion. Now, that part is true. So I won't really disagree I would, with that. I wouldn't say we farmed it to exhaustion. It's, it's, it's again, a efficiency thing. Instead of crop rotating, right? Instead of letting a field rest, we just use fertilizer. So it doesn't need uh, then you just put the yes, nutrients back we in go, artificially. So yes, it's if about we go an efficiency back, thing. You can. Yeah. Yeah. If we go back 100 years and use the techniques that the Europeans were doing, they were doing something at the time called a three field rotation, which means you would have three plots of land. You would grow on one field one year and you would rotate to the next and two of your fields would be recovering and you would move to the next one and then move to the next one and then back around. So after three years, you'd be back in the field that you first started on to make sure that each one of them would be replenished properly. So, yeah. I, I agree with you there. Uh, they want to talk about how uh, irreversible damage already. Anyway, uh, number five, there's a good reason to believe that the population growth increases the probability of a lethal worldwide plague and a thermal nuclear war. What are we being threatened with right now? Both of those things. You've got the state of New York putting out ad campaigns talking about a nuclear blast hitting the city and to get inside and wait for instructions from the government. And it's not the first time and, they've done uh, this. Uh, to, to add to that, the pandemic that we just went through, uh -huh. uh, where did that originate? And uh, where does all the receipts show it, the money came from? Uh huh. Uh, it's, again, another ish issue of they cause a problem, you react to the problem, then they offer you the solution. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Now, listen to this. You, you know, this is just, you can tell that these are the same guys that wrote Ecoscience. These are the same guys that are making policy, setting policy in government institutions and in academic institutions around the world. These are people that get speaking time at international think tanks. Their ideas are adopted. This is what we're dealing with today is this, this type of psychotic mindset is this. Oh, you know, we've got all these problems and so you know what we're going to do to solve all of them? We're just going to kill everybody. That's their solution to this. That is not a solution. Genocide is not a solution, which is what they're doing. One might 
One might say that's a final solution. Fine. Yeah, right. Listen to this. Again, this is where they, they say it out in the open, but they're not saying it. Listen to this. Either of these things, talking about a lethal worldwide plague or a thermonuclear war, either of these could provide a catastrophic death rate solution to the population problem. Each is potentially capable of destroying civilization and even driving homo sapiens to extinction. Death rate solution. You hear that? Solution. Uh-huh. They are literally causing... Uh, the extinction of the human race. Yes, uh, we were we were talking about uh, uh, kind of populations and that kind of stuff yesterday in prep. And when you look at the population globally over the last, I don't know, I think it was uh, twenty bef- from before twenty eighteen up till about 2018, 2019 and twenty twenty, the numbers basically stagnated, and we we were effectively not increasing but not not decreasing. Uh, the the numbers were um, negligible. Whereas 2021 and forward, that, that stuff wasn't listed. The, the last one was 2020. I'm curious to see what those numbers look like now after COVID, after the vaccinations. Interesting note, by the way, I didn't think about this uh, at the time. This was an afterthought. We, we talked about the uh, 1 in 23 filing for uh, vaccine uh, adverse effects, you know, with uh, TK insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the German company, yeah. Yeah, the German insurance company. One of the things I hadn't thought about was um, at the time, those are people that filed for, um, you, you know, these these injuries, right? They filed a claim. You can't file a claim if you're dead. How many people died? How how much more, uh, how much greater is that number of 4.3%? How much higher is that? It's a true statement. So going on here, perhaps most likely than extinction is the possibility that man will survive only to endure an existence barely recognizable as human. Oh, boy. Um, Fourth Industrial Revolution. We talked about that yesterday. Barely recognizable as human. You know, you're eventually going to get to a point where you're not going to know the difference between augmentation and cybernetics and the actual human being. But in this case, they say you'll be malnourished, beset by chronic disease, physically and emotionally impoverished, and surrounded by the devastation wrought by an industrial civilization that could not cope with the results of its own biological and social folly. Somebody you please know, explain the last three years to me. Are you not experiencing most of that? <laughs> there's there's an interesting thing, a phenomenon that happens when when you're living in a society that has, well, let, let's say you, you go back to horse and buggy time, right? And you're met with an event that's, uh, you know, bothersome. It, 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 in normal times, it would be uh, very distressing. Uh, whereas in those times you're facing things that are distressing quite often because, you know, let's face it, you don't have things like, um, heating and cooling, um, the hygiene isn't greatest. You're, you're not able to really travel, uh, except for a few miles a day. So the, the problems that you have then are a lot different than now. So when you, when you're met with something today, we would consider a big deal in those times. Okay. That's just a Tuesday. In other words, what I'm getting at is when your life is rough, uh, you tend to, I don't know, have a better emotional state, a stronger character. So those kind of things don't um, throw you off balance emotionally. It's the fact that we're so attached to our idol of comfort nowadays. Um, That's why we get so distraught over peddly things that mean nothing in our lives. It it, it absolutely, it's nothing, uh, some of this stuff. but oh my god instagram's down what am i going to do tiktok i can't access tiktok i can't see the videos what am i going to do oh no 
Netflix, it's offline. Hulu's down. You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. Oh my God, my Amazon delivery is going to be late. It's going to be late. It got pushed. You know, it's just stupid stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Anyway, they go on here to, this, to say that there are no simple answers to these threats. No technological solutions for the complex problems comprising the population, food, and the environmental crisis. I see there's, there's, there's no simple answers to this, but they just told you what they would do. They say, of course, technology properly applied in such areas as pollution, abatement, communications, and fertility control can provide valuable assistance. Fertility control. Uh Yeah, fertility control. But the essential solutions entail dramatic and rapid changes in human attitudes, especially those relating to reproductive behavior, economic growth, technology, the environment, and resolution of conflicts. What is it that Meadows said? You know, you don't want to have war and conflicts. You don't want to have any of that. No, no, you don't need any of that. Economic growth. Have we shown a positive economic growth? And don't give me this garbage about Mario Draghi saying, oh, the Italian economy is growing faster than expected. Don't tell me that. Now they go on to say after this, they have some recommendations here, just a few, right? They have some recommendations on what to do. And this is called, what they say is a positive program. These are their recommendations, and it's a positive program. Let's hear this. Although our conclusions are necessarily rather pessimistic, isn't that what Meadows said? Again, I, I keep harking back to that. He says, you know, these are rather pessimistic views, but, you know, and I'm hopeful, but, you know, we wish to emphasize our belief that the problems can be solved. Whether they will be solved is another question. A general course of action that we feel may have some chance of producing results of the current crisis are outlined below. Many of the suggestions will seem unrealistic, and indeed, that is how we view them. Right, sure. You know, they they put the word unrealistic in quotes. Unrealistic. But the world has been allowed to run downhill for so long that only idealistic and very far-reaching programs offer any hope for the future. Does that sound like Klaus Schwab? With his great reset, it does, doesn't it? It certainly does. Yeah. We have an unprecedented opportunity because we just don't have any other choice. What what was it he said? What other choice do we have? Some people might say this is very idealistic, but what other choice do we have? You know what? I'm just going to play it because it's been a while since we've played uh, that clip of uh, dear old Klaus. I believe that it is this one. Some people may say this is too idealistic, um, but what other choice do we have? At least we have to try. Uh-huh. Uh, we may fail, and um, next generations, or even we ourselves, will have to pay the price for our failure. At least we should try. Uh huh. Yeah, you're trying all right, Klaus. I'll give you that. You're trying all right. We have to try to kill off as many human beings as we possibly can peacefully and mm-hmm. with a shared experience. At least we have to try. Uh huh. Because. This is something that has to get to zero. Right. Yeah, sure. So what are their recommendations that are positive? Number one, population control is absolutely essential if the problems now facing mankind are to be solved. So you mean population control like abortion or, I don't know, maybe injecting people with a, um, a drug that's experimental that um, reduces sperm counts by uh, 80% for um, five months? Uh, and also causes um, a, a failure of menstruation for the about the same amount of time. And then say you need to get a new inoculation every um, three to six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. Uh, we're going to talk some figures this week on miscarriages in the Pfizer trials. We're going to talk that with Ned, al- along with some other numbers out of the UK that are 
shocking. They're, they're just they're absolutely shocking. We're, ta- we're going to talk government reports, but we're not going to get into that right now. They say if population growth were halted immediately, virtually all other human problems such as poverty, racial tensions, urban blight, environmental decay and warfare would remain. On the other hand, direct attacks on these problems will ultimately fail if the human population continues to grow. The situation is best summarized in the statement, whatever your cause, it's a lost cause without population control. Again, they list all of the truths, all the scientific truths, all the ecological truths, all the scientific you know stuff that we know in the world that we can't deny. They list all of those things. They explain all those things in great detail. And then they bring you to the end of it. And they explain to you, oh, we'll see if we just get rid of all the people, you're not going to have any of these other problems. See if this sounds familiar. Political pressure must be applied immediately to induce the United States government to assume its responsibility to halt the growth of the American population. Once growth is halted, the government should undertake to influence the birth rate so that the population is reduced to an optimum size and maintained there. Georgia Guidestones, 500 million. Isn't that what it said? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. But this also uh-huh. sounds like um, an experiment from China, you know, with uh, China's one child policy. It almost sounds like yes. they were experimenting with these ideas in yes. China. And that and, was part and, of the deal. You know, that was part of the yeah. deal. You undertake that one child policy and we will industrialize you. And I'll get to that in just a second because they list that next. It is essential that a grassroots political movement be generated to convince our legislators and the executive branch of the government that they must act promptly. Extinction Rebellion, you got to act now. You don't have time to think. You got to act now. Greta Thunberg, the program should be based on what politicians understand the best. Votes. Yep, votes, of course. Presidents, congressmen, senators, and other elected officials who do not deal effectively with the crisis must be defeated at the polls and more intelligent... Yeah, more intelligent, yeah. More intelligent and responsible candidates must be elected. Now, this next part that they list as a, a positive program. Now, mind you, this was all kicked off at the United Nations summit in Stockholm in the, in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. This next part, a massive campaign must be launched to restore a high quality environment in North America and to de-develop the United States. Let me say that again. A massive campaign must be launched to restore a high-quality environment in North America and to de-develop the United States. Has our manufacturing and production in the United States increased or decreased in your lifetime? Don't worry, I'll wait. That's one of the reasons that they hated Trump so much. He was talking about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. He was talking about things that were beneficial to the U.S. Uh, in, in, tra- in traditional classic thinking of, I don't know, actually doing good by your people, you know, kind of kind of like what our founders were kind of thinking in the beginning. He, he had those same ideas and wanted to bring it back to help the American people to succeed and progress. It's very important, the language that they speak of in here, because this will resonate with what we hear now. Pay very close attention. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. I'm not trying to sit on a soapbox here or anything by any stretch, but you're not going to hear this information anywhere else. I found these books that the library that I got them from, they were going to throw them out in the garbage. They actually have a stamp on it right here. It says discard. They were going to toss it out. Deed development means bringing our economic system, especially patterns of consumption, into line with the realities of ecology and the global resource situation. Resources and energy must be diverted from frivolous and wasteful uses in overdeveloped countries to filling the genuine needs of underdeveloped countries. Uh, Marxism? Hello? Hello? Redistribution of wealth? Oh, they'll get into that too, because they discuss that too. 
there wouldn't be uh, an excess use of energy and uh, resources had they not gotten involved and screwed over our population's uh, line of thinking and turned everybody into consumers effectively. If they wouldn't have done that, then there wouldn't be an overuse of these these things. They created a problem. Now they're presenting you with a solution. In all of By this, creating though, the despair, they've also created a population boom in non-productive people. Yeah. The other thing, if we would continue progressing and moving forward, we've uh, harped on this a lot. If we got to space, there's tons of asteroids out there with gold, cobalt, lithium. I mean, there's all kinds of resources out there that we can use to advance ourselves we don't have to do any more mining on the planet like we could go to other planets that don't harbor life and we could get resources from there or colonize there expand grow and then you would have less of a strain here on earth expanding out to the stars but no instead we have to kill off the population here we have to solely focus the human race in this one planet so that if, it, if one catastrophic event happens, that's the end of our species as we know it. And potentially at this point in time, that may be the end of all intelligent life in the universe for whoever knows how long. By people that think well, they're intelligent. Yeah. It, well, that, that that's a funny joke about that. Our brains are the most complicated things in the universe. You know what tells us that our brains is the most complicated things in the universe. Our brains is the one saying that they're the most complicated things in the universe. And our brains are the things that are saying that we're the sentient beings in the universe. So, I mean, maybe maybe we're biased in this. Maybe this is all an illusion. But that said, we've seen no evidence of another civilization out there that's intelligent. Maybe they just want nothing to do with us because we're crazy loons. And at this point, we are crazy loons. Uh, we live on a planet that tries to kill us with animals that try to kill us and we try to kill one another. So maybe they want nothing to do with us because we, we're seen as like the redheaded stepchild of the uh, uh, universe. Whatever the case may be, it, it, these people aren't satisfied until the human race is extinct. Which is why I said they'll come at you with something else. Doesn't matter what it is because you want it to be peaceful. You want everybody to share in that experience, right? That's what you want everybody to do. This effort of, uh, what do they put it? De-developing. This effort must be largely political, especially with regard to our over-exploitation of world resources. But the campaign should be strongly supplement supplemented by legal and boycott action against polluters and others whose activities damage the environment. Boy, that That's sounds... That's like the MO of the left. Exactly. Exactly. And everything. If you're a polluter... If you're somebody that's involved in petrochemicals, what was it Obama said? You can build a coal fire plant, but you're going to go bankrupt. Uh -huh. You have to transition into wind and solar and, and lithium batteries and, and all this other stuff that's, that doesn't work. That's actually a bigger polluter than what you've got. Yeah. The need for de-development presents our economists with a major challenge. What challenge would that be? The backlash that they're going to face for doing it? I think that's about the only challenge that they would face. They must design a stable, low-consumption economy in which there is a much more equitable distribution of wealth in the present one. Does that sound familiar? That's almost word for word what we're being lectured to from upon high about now. Redistribution of wealth, both within and among nations, is absolutely essential. If a decent life is to be provided for every human being. Hello, Karl Marx. How are you? <laughs> it's like he himself is reaching up from the grave and writing this. Yeah, this is literally what's going on right now. Uh, we just had Kamala Harris talking about uh, equitable life here recently in some uh, 
word solid that she presented here recently. And then uh, what what what's this inflation? Uh, the the shutdown of everybody's business. The it, honestly, it's the deindustrialization of the U.S. and the eighty seven thousand IRS agents that they're going to hire that are going after. If you look at statistics, the IRS typically goes after people that can't afford to uh, fight. So if you make under $75,000, they're going after you because you can't afford to to file the legal claims or, or you know, to, to fight in, in lawfare. So they don't they, they, they don't go after the rich. They go after this is a wealth transfer again. But the catch is, is they're not transferring it to uh, some poor, impoverished nation. They're transferring it to their own coffers. They're lining themselves with more money and getting themselves richer and more powerful while putting you under their boot. That's absolutely right. Oh, and you left out the other person that they're going to target. That's the small business owner, if you still got a small business. Yes, exactly. They, they want to go after you because um, they need that whole corporate system that, uh, you know, you know that, uh, well, I, I, I call it a circle jerk, but um, that that's basically the stakeholders. They, they want to they're, they're the stakeholders. Yeah. They're the stakeholders yeah, in the new yeah. system because we're transitioning. Yeah. Yeah. The stakeholders. Yeah. yeah. Stay. Yeah. They're holding stakes. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Family show. I'm sorry. Perhaps the mate. This is their final point here. They say perhaps the major necessary ingredient that has been missing from a solution to the problems of both the United States and the rest of the world is a goal, a vision of the kind of spaceship Earth that ought to be and the kind of crew that should man her. Didn't Prince William just launch a new foundation, a new charity called Earthshot, showing the the Earth as kind of like its own little spaceship kind of going off under the distance there and how everybody had to be a part of it with a goal in mind of preserving the world for you. He's doing it up there on stage with a smile on his face and the dumb stupid morons in the crowd don't even understand that he's talking about genocide against them and their families. They don't even understand it. And they're cheering for it because you want everybody to share in the experience, right? You want everybody to share in that. Peacefully. Yeah. Peacefully. Yes. Peacefully. Yeah. yeah. You got it. Society has always had its visionaries who talked of, see if this sounds familiar, love, beauty, peace, and plenty. But somehow the practical men have always been there to praise smog as signs of progress and to preach just wars and to restrict love while giving hate free reign. Again, all of that sound familiar? Oh, yes, it does. It must be one of the greatest ironies in the history of the human species that the only salvation for the practical men now lies in what they think as the, the dreams of the idealists. The question now is, can the self-proclaimed realists be persuaded to face reality in time. Now, you might think, okay, this is all about the, you know, the great reset agenda. That's the genesis of it right here. This is it. That's what all this stems from is this this garbage right here. This this book is literally calling for genocide. And that's what these people are doing up there on these stages in fancy Hugo Boss and, and Gucci suits. Now, where does the other stuff fit in? Well, I ran across an even earlier book than that written by the same people. And in there at the end, because it's the same basic kind of stuff. I mean, they talk about global ecology, but they're talking about all the same stuff throughout the book. Scientific truths, things that you understand that you really can't deny because that's how they get you on board. And that's actually what Marxists do, by the way. They'll pick a topic to start with. They'll sit down with you and they'll pick a topic to start with that you can't disagree with. And they'll say, see, we agree on this major thing here. So if we agree on this major thing, then there's no reason why we can't discuss other things. And they'll eventually get you down into their twisted sense of insanity. And people spend too much time reading anti-during, which twists your idea when it comes to logic. These people have no logic. None. 
zero. That's but exactly at the end of what this book is, though. That's exactly what this book is. If you if you go in and read the book, right in the beginning of the book, they present you with all these facts, all these yes. truths that you can't deny yep. that you agree with. And then they present their ideas that are completely far fetched and pure evil, in my opinion, that that, that is evil. No argument. What shocked me about this other book that they wrote, it's called Global Ecology for anybody that wants to pick these up. You know, what? you can probably find these at an online bookstore or on Amazon. Used copies, of course, because these are long out of print. A lot of these were used as college textbooks back in the 70s and 80s. You can get these for almost next to nothing. I mean, I've seen these th these two copies of these books. I mean, I, I think I paid like $16 for both of them. You know, I, like I said, I mean, hell, there's a discard stamp on this one. The library is going to toss it out. It was marked to be thrown away. So you can pick these up for a few dollars and you can see for yourself. Human Ecology and Global Ecology, written by John P. Holdren and Paul Ehrlich. But in the back of this, at the end of this one, you know, because they go through all basically the same kind of stuff, you know, things that you can't deny and all that stuff, right? Pollution problems, water conservation and all that stuff. Yeah, okay. You know, how ecosystems work, that kind of stuff, how there is balance. And that is true. There is balance in our ecosystem. And we are a part of that balance. That is true. But in the back of this, they lay out some tables, and as Bruce and I were going through some of these tables last night, we thought, man, a lot of this stuff sounds really familiar, too familiar. In this chart, they talk about certain aspects of social engineering, psychological manipulation, and how you stretch out those crises and what you specifically key on within that time period to force that change down the road. Well, let's take a look at some of these, shall we? This won't take long. They list eight points, okay? Eight points in both of these. And in this, you're going to get explanations to a lot of things. You're going to understand why a lot of this stuff has been happening. And you're going to understand why a lot of things have been restricted that make a whole lot of sense. Number one, if you have a crisis of, say, total annihilation, because we've heard that before, right? Even after the end of the war, we heard total annihilation through uh, thermonuclear war. And you notice they're spinning that back up again. What was the hit piece that The Guardian just put out the other day? We touched on it a little bit uh, with Pavel earlier this week. Zelensky says, oh, we're going to start bombing the uh, uh, the nuclear site over in wh where wherever it was. It wasn't Chernobyl, somewhere else. For what purpose? You could set off a nuclear reaction that's, uh, you would have uh, a nuclear meltdown, the likes of which that Chernobyl would be tame by comparison. So you've got that. You've got New York. They're threatening to nuke New York for whatever reason. Haven't quite figured that one out yet, but I'm working on it. And then, of course, you have virus releases, right? That's another threat of total annihilation. You look at that in terms of years. You've got three different times of crises that they estimate here. You've got one to five years, five to 20 years, and 20 to 50 years, because these people work in half-century plans sometimes, right? Look at the United Nations. Agenda 2030, that wasn't an accident. Agenda 21, Agenda 21 was put forth in the 90s. They were expecting to hit that mile marker by 2021. They hit it with COVID. As soon as that signpost was reached, you notice what happened. You didn't hear about Agenda 21 anymore, did you? You heard about Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals. That's what everything shifted to. And when you hit 2030, when all of us hit 2030, those of us that are left, then you're going to hear all about 2050. That's if they even make it that far. I mean, with 5 billion people just took an experimental jab and we don't know what the side effects are long term, um, they may have won more ground mm -hmm. than we want to admit. That is true. Or that is true. Maybe Meadows was right in that in that regard. Maybe he was right because that would leave us with about two billion people, wouldn't it? If that were the case, if I'm talking worst case scenario, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking very pessimistically in that regard, but it's not out of the realm of possibility, given how insane these people are. If you haven't figured out that these people are 
are clinically insane by this point, I don't know what to tell you, because these are their own writings. We're taking it right from their own hand. So total annihilation, right? Be it nuclear or uh, biological of, of some kind, you're looking in 20 to 50 years, you either solve that problem or everybody's dead, period, right? That's total annihilation, All right. So that's how they look at that. Now, if you have some type of great change, as in some form of destruction comes along, such as a physical change, a biological change, or a political change, what can you do about that? Looking at it from a social engineering standpoint, what would you do to affect change there? Well, you're not going to do anything in one to five years, are you? That's too short of a time period, especially in the political realm of things. You can't really get a whole lot accomplished in one to five years in the uh, in the sphere of politics. Just doesn't happen because it just it takes too long to work through the system. Even back when this book was published, it took too long to work through the system back then. Now it's even worse. So you're not going to do that. But in five to 20 years, that seems a little bit more attainable if you're looking to twist and mold society from that aspect, aren't you? Because you got a couple of generations you can work with in there. What would you focus on? See if this sounds familiar. Famines. Are we having a food crisis? Are we barreling at light speed towards a food crisis? Yes or no? Right now. That doesn't happen overnight. It takes a few years for that supply line to run dry. And if you've got farmers that are out protesting now in places like the Netherlands and in Germany, which they are, then those farmers, especially with this this concocted uh, nitrogen emissions, whatever garbage that they're putting up there, farmers aren't going to be able to plant. And if you don't plant, then you don't have a harvest. And if you don't have a harvest, well, you go through that time period, that takes a year because that's a whole growing season. But you still have in the supply line what was produced last year. So you're still working off of that. So you work that through. It's really going to start affecting people possibly three to five years out in that regard. And especially if it keeps up that way. What else are you going to do? You're going to focus on ecological balances. Climate change? We're being hammered with climate change agendas, are we not? Oh, there's, there's too much energy consumption. You're going to have to transition. You need to move to this. You need to do that to save the environment. It's for the earth. What else are you going to do? You're going to focus on, you're going to focus your attention. If you're one of these people, one of these social engineering types, you're going to focus on the gap between the rich and the poor. Again, written in the late 60s, early 70s, you would think that we're reading this as a brand new release now. Now, if you look at this long term, right, that's just five to 20 years. Let's go long term. Let's go 20 to 50 years because there you got about four or five generations you can work with. You want to rethink and re-implement a new economical and political theory in society. Well, 20 to 50 years, that would give you enough time to indoctrinate a new group of children in schools. And then you put them through the systems, through the institutions, take learning away from the parents because the parents wouldn't have a purpose any longer. So the state's teaching them. They're indoctrinating them into whatever. You're putting them through the, the institutions of, quote, higher learning, the universities. And then they come out and they go straight into the bureaucracy with the, the, the warped sense of insanity that they have. Are we um, not seeing that? what we're seeing. Are we not with seeing what that? we're seeing now? Yeah, it, it's literally um, with, with the schooling thing, uh, talking about that one specifically. You're training kids to inherently want to do population control just because of their um, gender fluidity that they're, they're teaching. Uh-huh. Now, what else would you focus on in 20 to 50 years? Well, let's see what they would let's see what they would throw at you along with changing your economic and your political theories. You want to talk about population and ecological balances. You know, they haven't actually said it yet, have they? I mean, they have in not so many words, right? I mean, they're really saying it in front of your face without actually saying it, at least without the average person picking up on it. I mean, hell, Bill Gates was talking about literally calling for reducing the world's population through use of vaccinations on stage at a TED Talk, and the audience is laughing at him. 
He's telling you he's going to murder you and your family. And they're laughing about it. Clearly, he wouldn't do that. I mean, no, come on. No, I, of course not. No. no. What else would they focus on? Management of world integrative philosophy. World integrative philosophy. They're trying to unite the world under climate change, aren't they? We all have the same problem. We all have to come together. It's for the earth. Let's move on to another crisis. If that's not enough, right? If that's, if that's not enough, if that, that's just if there's a great change that's going on. These are things that you can do if you're them from a social engineering standpoint. These are the people that design these think tanks that come up with this crackpot nonsense. These are people that sit at the United Nations and the World Health Organization that implement this kind of stuff. This is why your life has been a living hell for the last three years, possibly longer. Number three, tell me if we've not seen this widespread, almost unbearable tension. Have we had widespread, almost unbearable tension? I think that goes pre-COVID, doesn't it? I think so. What would you do? In one to five years, what would you focus on? Well, you'd focus on administrative management, right? You'd have you'd have the government and, well, whatever bureaucracy focus on administrative management. Haven't we had that? Look at health departments with COVID. Is that or is that not administrative management telling you where you can go, how many people you can see, how many people you can hug, what tests you have to take to get where and within what time period? That kind of just stupidity, that kind of absurdity, that's administrative management of you. The next part, if you have administrative management, you need something else to go with that. You need participation. You need to emphasize the need for participation. Have we seen a call for the need for everybody to participate? Have we seen calls for that? How many times uh, have you seen one of these? Bit. Yeah. How many times have you seen one? Like, uh, what's his name? Biden out there basically insulting the American people saying, get vaccinated and smacking his hand down on the podium or whatever stupid nonsense he was doing. Do your duty, right? It's your patriotic duty to go out and do that. Yeah. This is our version of World War II. <laughs> the gall of these people. What else would you focus on? Group and racial conflict. Boy, oh boy. Black Lives Matter, anybody? I'm just saying, right? Antifa, group and racial conflict. The rising level of poverty is something else that you would focus on. Are we seeing that? But they're telling you that, oh my God, more Americans, they've got more money in their pockets than they've ever had. They've got the, what Kamala Harris. She said, Americans have bigger savings accounts now than they've ever had before. And of course, you want to talk about environmental degradation. These are things you want to key on. If you're a twisted, manipulative social engineer, that's what you want to twist the population on. Environmental degradation. See, you're killing the planet because you're driving a car. You're killing the planet because you're flying on an airplane. You're killing the planet because you're eating a burger or a steak or, or whatever. So we have to kill, we have to get rid of the cows. Five to 20 years. Okay, that was just the first five, one to five years. Five to 20 years. Let's look a little bit further down the road. What do they say you should focus on there? Poverty, the environment, racial wars, political rigidity. Of course, you got to have political conflict in there and strong dictatorships. Again, I go back to Dennis Meadows. You want strong dictatorships because, well, you're going to have to deal with all those problems, aren't you? That's widespread, almost unbearable tension. That's how they tell you to deal with it if you're a politician or you're one of these administrative types. Let's look at large-scale distress. Do we have large-scale distress? Maybe. Just a little bit. Are our economic systems and our political systems, is all of that in distress? Oh, yes, it is. And it's putting stress on you because you're trying to live a normal life and these people are just in the way. You want to focus on the following things. You want to focus on transportation. Everybody needs an electric car. You're having problems because you've got high gas prices. <laughs> because if you're looking at widespread, almost unbearable tension, if you're following that, the, the aforementioned section, if you're following that, you want to focus on pollution and the environment. And in this, by their decree, you have to blame the polluters, the petrochemical providers. You have to blame them. So you're not going to have that. So you need an electric car. 
under the next section. So you need to focus on transportation. We need to move everybody into these electric cars because if you drive one of these petrol power cars, that's polluting the environment. You're killing the earth. We can't have that. When in reality, that electric car is creating more pollution. You want to focus on diseases. I mean, COVID, hello, monkeypox, uh, whatever this new one is, this HIPAA virus they're, uh, they're cooking up out of China. We've had a few others. Polio's made a resurgence somehow. Miraculously, it's made a resurgence. And you want to give emphasis on the loss of old cultures. Oh, now see, we, we got to have a new normal. We can't have the old way. We're never going back to normal, as Klaus Schwab said. Now, people think that we're somehow going back to this, um, this old way of doing things. No, that, that's just that's, that's pure fiction. That's just not going to happen. He's not wrong. No, he's I, not. I, I, think, I don't think we're going back to either everybody's woke up. We're, we're not going to have the corruption and everything that we had in, in uh, our politics. Or people are still asleep and uh, you're not going to have to worry about um, uh, corruption and everything because uh, your, your, your politician will be chosen for you. That's right. Now, moving right along in the interest of time here, because we're getting close to being finished here. If you want to have a tension that's producing a responsive change, well, then you focus on a couple of things here. You, know, you want to get responsive change out of people. You don't want people to just accept what's going on and you know adapt for themselves. You need to force that change in them. So what would you focus on? You would focus on all the other problems that you're not addressing. Cancer and heart disease. Have we seen a rise in those two things? Just in those two things in the last three years. They're up by multi-thousands of percentage points in both areas. We're going to talk about some of the cancer numbers in the U.S. just in the last, hang on, I'll tell you. Year? No. Uh, let me see. U.S. government data confirms a 143,233% increase in cancer cases due to a COVID-19 vaccination. That's their own numbers. We're going to go over that later this week. So if you want to produce a responsive change in people, then that's what you need to focus on. Have they focused on that? I would say so. You want to increase drug use and smoking. Is that increased? At least drug use. I don't know about smoking. We don't have data to support that, but drug use off the charts in the last three years. Look at China. Look at China. Like, what is it? Like 60 or 70% of their population smokes? Is that uh, in China? High? Is Oh, it, it, it's really high uh, there in China. Um, and we just talked about China was their alpha test. Fair point. I didn't know the number was actually that high. You also want to focus on some other things. Water supplies. Have they focused on water supplies? Droughts. We're having record droughts across the West. Record droughts. But yet the media is telling you that there's massive flooding going on everywhere. There's a disconnect somewhere. Are we having droughts? Or are we having flooding? Which one is it? You also want to focus on privacy on your well in here they mentioned privacy on computers but uh, we can just go with online privacy and bring that up to the modern age what are we hearing now what's klaus schwab and, and the world economic forum what are they calling for now oh now see that the human uh, monitors of of disinformation and misinformation that's not adequate anymore now we need ai to do that but see it's for your privacy we need the we need the digital wallet you notice they backed off of that for a little bit we need the digital wallet but it's not for us it's for you you need that because it's for your safety. It's for your privacy. Are they focusing on that? Is that invoking a responsive change in people? If it were truly about uh, your safety and privacy, they would already be on those systems. This is true. Again, they can't provide explanations as to why we actually need those things other than just nonsensical stuff. Anyway, uh, they go on here to mention uh, other... Yeah, yeah. They go on here to mention other important other problems that are important, but they say that they're adequately researched, such as mental illness, fusion power, which you've talked about. I don't think fusion power is is adequately researched. Uh, 
New educational methods, I don't believe that's adequately researched. Technical development design, intelligent monetary design, I don't believe that's, you know, I mean, given the time period, I suppose, but uh, I don't believe that that's adequately researched back then, even let alone now. So that's an ongoing thing. Exactly. Exactly. Exaggerated dangers and hopes. Again, this is all about social engineering. Exaggerated dangers and hopes. Have we seen exaggerated dangers and hopes in the last three years? Just in the last three years. I mean, you can go back further than that, of course, but I'm just talking about the last three years. Everybody that's been traumatized. Oh, you know, if we just if we just do this so everybody doesn't die and everybody's part of this because we need you to get us to this point. If we just get here, then everything's going to go back to normal. How many times has Fauci said that? How many times has Bill Gates said that? And it never goes back, does it? They're giving you just that little crumb of hope, you're, uh, that little bit of hope that you're clinging on to, that somehow everything's just going to go back to the way it was. That's an exaggerated danger, and it's hope. It's precisely what they're doing. Precisely. It's word for word what they're doing. In this, what do you focus on? In the first one to five years, you focus on the following things. Mind control. They literally say, it's literally saying mind control. They literally say, focus on mind control. Are we seeing mind control in action right now to those of us that are paying attention? Of course you are. That's irrefutable. <laughs> I love this one. I love this one. You want to change the definition of death. I, I wish I was making that up. Have they changed the definition of death or have they not? Ask yourself that question. I can give you an example right off the bat. Please do. In previous times, we considered, uh, we being uh, society, considered death was someone or the government or, or, you know, coming in and taking over your business or taking over your livelihood. That was effectively death. And at that point, you know, you would um, fight to the death to retain that. That's not the case anymore. That's not considered death anymore. Mm -mm. That's can. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it. It's just even even the loss of like in previous times, the loss of your will to drive forward, to to be ambitious, to to succeed or excel. If you lost that, you were considered dead. That was you know spiritually dead or or a soul death, if you will. Um, that's not the, that that's just depression now. In the longer term, under exaggerated dangers and hopes, they say one of the other things that you need to focus on here f between the time period of five to 20 years is you need to focus on unemployment due to automation. I, I it, like I feel like I, I'm reading something right. Like I feel like the World Economic Forum wrote this book. That's what I feel like. I feel like Noah Harari had a hand in it because I he's mean, literally he's literally saying, you know, what are we going to do with all these useless people? Because they're not going to have a job at all. So what are we going to do with them? Yeah, that, that, that's why we've had people like Andrew Yang and uh, as far as politics talking about universal basic income. This is literally that argument. It's because everything's going to be eventually automated and you've got to figure out how to, uh, well, as they put it, a useless population that you're going to have to figure out what to do with. You know, these last two points in this, this section right here under exaggerated dangers and hopes, long term, 20 to 50 years. They may, now, see if these two things don't stand out to you. They say that you need to focus on the melting of the ice caps. Where's Al Gore? Where, where is Al Gore? I, I need I need a clip of Al Gore talking about how the ice caps are going to be melted by the year. He's in 2007. Literally, no joke. He said by 2013, if we do nothing, the ice caps on the North Pole and the South Pole are they're going to be completely gone. They're still there, Al. 
I'm just saying they're, they're still there. So you want to focus on the melting of the ice caps. They did that. Uh, and I'm sure that they're still doing that uh, in ways because, I mean, how many times have you seen one of these uh, these woke documentaries on Nat Geo of the uh, uh, like a chunk of the glacier flopping over and into the ocean? They say, oh, that's your fault. That's your fault that it did that. This next part that they list here, they literally list this right here. It says eugenics. <laughs> you need to, you need to focus on eugenics. Oh, boy. Like we could do an entire I think we could do a two part or a three part or even a five part podcast on just that subject alone. Just that eugenics. I thought that was a conspiracy theory. Eugenics. They tell you that it is. Oh, you, you believe that these people are practicing eugenics? No, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're, you're a crazy tinfoil hat wearing uh, lunatic. No, that's what you are. They're literally saying it right here in their book. This is what you need to focus on long term if you're looking at exaggerated dangers and hopes in the manners of social engineering and population. Like this is their playbook right here. This is everything just in the last three years. You could, all right, you could go back further if you want, but I'm just talking about the last 36 months. This right here. This has been their playbook. This. This last section. You want to know why we haven't technologically and scientifically advanced? Why we haven't gone into the whole uh, space program? You want to know why our space program was shut down? Where did Obama, right? Because he's the one that shut it down in the U.S., at least officially. I think it was done behind the scenes before him, but at least officially he shut it down. Everything ended under him. Where did he go to school? Anybody know? He went to Harvard. The people that wrote this book, they're some of the top academics at Harvard. The science czar under Obama wrote this book, for God's sake. Non-crisis problems being, quote, overstudied. Men in space. Men in space. You hear that? Men in space. Oh, you want to go to space? No, you don't need to do that. What do you want to go up there for? You, you don't want to do that. It's a waste of time. There's nothing up there. It's just emptiness. You need to focus on the, the problem of overpopulation here. You want to know why we haven't had a space program? You want to know why you've got venture capitalists like Elon Musk? And I'm not very happy with him right now, by the way, but we'll talk about that later. Not today. You want to know why we have people like that going into space? Because trash, like the people that wrote this book, have been hindering our progress to get there. I'm not saying the U.S. government funding it is the way to go. I'm not saying that's the way, because nearest I can tell, they're really not very good at it. But they're also responsible. They're also the, the regulatory body that's standing in the way of progress. And the people, and I, I can't even really say the government, not really per se, because this individual, when he wrote this book, he wasn't heavily involved in the government, but the government people went to the academics because they believed that they were the smarter ones out of the political types. So they were brought in as consultants and they thought, okay, well, these are the scientists. These are the, uh, the visionaries. These are the ones that are the, the most well-educated. So we're going to listen to them. How is that advancing the human race? These people don't want to advance the human race. Klaus Schwab and these, these uh, yahoos down there in, in Davos, Switzerland, they don't want progress in the right direction. We were talking about augments yesterday and how that could possibly be a good thing. Not with these jokers at the steering wheel. It's not going to happen. Men in space. Bruce, your comment on that? Yeah, uh, you, you pretty much covered uh, uh, more or less opinions on that because, um, you know, and, and what we've previously, previously talked about, um, being in space, um, yeah, that's, that's how we colonize, that's how we grow, that's how we expand, that's how we ensure our civilization, our, our species uh, has a better chance in case there's some calamitous event. Or we run into, um, you know, playing with sci uh, science fiction a little bit, or we run into an alien race that's seeking our destruction or just seeks to consume everything or something, you know, like the Borg or something. If if you're expanded across the galaxy, you've, you're, you're effectively immune to being annihilated because at, at that point, they can't track you down unless they have uh, enough drones or whatever to hit every single planet simultaneously. 
And at that point, that that species is probably so far advanced, they're they're probably colonized multiple galaxies at once uh, to to be able to do that. But anyway, all that all that aside, um, we should be looking at colonizing our solar system so that we can colonize other solar systems so that we can colonize other galaxies. That should be our focus. That should be our drive forward. Now that we've pretty much got a a basic understanding of space or or at least how to traverse space and we found new technologies, new materials that we can use to create craft that would allow us to at least survive the the exposure of space. Uh, you know, the, the lack of an atmosphere and magnetic field, all those kind of things. Um, even even with them, the elite trying to slow us down, we still have technologies that are coming out that are proving to be beneficial and potentially usable for other other things other than just, you know, making you a consumer effectively. The, the thing I'm concerned about, though, is the elite figuring out that their goals are not obtainable. You know, this 500 million or a billion or whatever, whatever the hell they're, they're trying to push for when they realize that they can't, uh, enact that they can't have full control because let's face it, if they are able to do a complete digital dark age, you're still going to have rebellious types that are going to rise up and, and be a thorn in the side of the system. You're still going to have criminal organizations that are going to rise up against them. And honestly, when everything's digitized like that, it will make it a little bit easier uh, to attack governments or to make it painful uh, for, for uh, civilization as a whole and to break them out of it. Um, but at the same time, it's very difficult to get out of that. It's kind of a, the scale widens. There can be extremes on either side. Once they realize they can't hold control, they'll push to try to get to space. Because here, here's the catch, and we've kind of played with this in science fiction as well, we being humans in, in our movies and books and whatnot. Once you get to space, the government no longer really regulates. Like, the government isn't outside the planet. So once these companies start going out into space, well, you know, there's no kind of regulations or anything that's really holding them back. So... They can research things like cloning humans and turning them into slaves or augmenting humans or genetically engineering or, you know, those kind of things. And and basically enslaving a populace and there's no government body that can stop them from doing it or or a, a population that will rise up against them. There There is a, um, the possibility that you, you send a crew up to build a space station, then the company tries to crack down on the crew and the crew is like, you know what, F you, we run this station now. And you try to send up a crew to, to, you know, quill that riot. Good luck trying to dock at the station. They have control of it. When you're in space, it's much more difficult to, you, you just have to cut your losses at that point. So there's a, there's a lot of scenarios that it, you, you could game out and, and theorize. Um, but I, I think they're going to try their hand at this first. They're going to realize that long term, it's not going to work because, you know, as an example, let's say somebody gets a hold of an AI it enslaves the human race. Someone resists and get a hold gets a hold of another AI that happens to be more inclined to help the human race. There's just so many different scenarios and the ways this could go. It's not going to be a fun time. Um, or perhaps it is. Perhaps it's going to be a, a very fun time. Depends on your perspective. Could be. They also say there in their final point that um, one of the things that's it, it's just it's overstudied is the most basic of sciences. It's it's overstudied. Most basic of sciences. Yes. Like, again. Yes. Like uh, yeah. Gender. Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Of course. It's, it's, that's that's overstudied. That's overstudied. You need to you need to get away from that. That goes along with changing your economic and your political ideologies and your institutions. 
and indoctrinating another generation all the way up to 20 to 50 years. But you know what? The problem of this ideology still remains. Nearest I can tell, I mean, if you look, it's because uh, you can't even really classify uh, Malthusianism as a, as an actual ideology. At least I don't think. Not in my opinion. You can look at it as a, as a problem of uh, of overpopulation. I mean, that can be a problem anywhere for any species. It doesn't necessarily have to be humans. But I don't consider that to be uh, something that is as an ideology in and of itself. I look at it. At least everything that we've covered here tonight. I look at it and I see it's a derivative of Marxism, in my opinion. That's what it seems to be, because everything in there fits the Marxist ideology. But at the end, they get into like this. This is like this is a statement from Ehrlich himself. Whatever your cause, it's a lost cause without population control. That means that no matter what you try and present to them as even a, a logical or reasonable argument, they're going to say every single time you're going to get stonewalled and they're going to say, too many people, too many people, too many people. No matter what you say, they'll tell you that that's caused by too many people. You know what other civilization agreed with that? There's some civilizations in the past that enslaved other human beings and sterilized them because they realized that you can't have a slave race repopulating because they will eventually overthrow you. Hmm. Sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? But again, like I said, we're going to get into those numbers later this week. I'm not going to put any fancy outros on this one because I'm just going to let this one stand as it was. I wasn't planning to do a special tonight, and neither were you, but we're not scripted and we just kind of fell into this one. We're going to go ahead and call this one done. Bruce, thank you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.